1: Hi everyone, it's Clara Shea here and welcome back to another episode of the Business of Dance podcast. Today, I have a very special guest who is a fellow systems soulmate, the fabulous Erin Pride. Erin is a very passionate and multi-talented entrepreneur who helps dance educators, studio owners and arts organisations feel more confident, whether it's creating systems for classrooms or designing benchmarks, assessment and curriculum that fits the studio owner and students needs. So let's learn a little bit more about Erin before we jump into the interview. So Erin has had dance training since the age of four and she received her BFA in dance from Montclair State University and her master's in dance education from New York University. She also toured with Pilobolus Creative Services, owned a dance studio and is the director of a performing arts high school dance program. And most recently, she founded the Benchmark Bootcamp along with her other fabulous coaching services. Her bootcamp stems from years of knowledge and experience in running a successful dance classroom, reaching students of all facets and transforming ideas from hopes into reality. Recently, Erin created the Patterson Public Schools K-12 Dance Curriculum, helped develop the NJHS Dance Festival, and also assisted in the establishment of the Inner City Ensemble Summer Dance Intensive. She says everything she has learned was from dance class, and that is where she fell in love with education, inspiring others, and also systems. I cannot wait to get going on this really epic interview with Erin so we may learn more about her amazing services and system secrets. So let's dive into the show. Thank you so much for joining me today, Erin. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I am so excited to be here.
1: Awesome. So my first question for you is just to give us a little bit more history and context about all about you and your dance background. So I read your bio in the start to our listeners, and it says that you started dance at age four. So can you tell us about how all that started for you?
2: Definitely. Well, I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey, which is in the United States. (laughs) And um, I, you know, grew up in an inner city. So my mother and father wanted to put me in dance at a young age so that I could get accepted into a performing arts high school in Patterson because that was the only high school, they felt confident sending me to. The rest of the high schools at that time were rough. It was hard. And, you know, my parents, both educators, weren't totally on board with sending me to a private or Catholic or school, like anything like that. So they just dropped me in dance and hoped for the best when I got to high school that I would be accepted. And, um, you know, when I hit the stage, I loved it. My mother tells me stories and I see pictures and you know, it's it's just such a blessing that they did that. And then um, I got accepted to the Performing Arts High School in Patterson, and I actually run the dance program there now, funny enough. And, um, you know, I was going through high school. I was a decent student. You know, I got A's and B's. I was never passionate about just education, and dance was really my outlet. So when it came time to think about what I was going to do in college, I told my parents I wanted to dance and they were fully on board with me. They were totally supportive. Wow. And then, yeah, I felt really blessed. And then, you know, I went to Marymount, Manhattan and in New York City for a year. That school was very intimidating for me. At my performing arts high school, I think the teacher did the best that she could, but it wasn't the best training that I could receive. Mm. So when I went to the college program, I think I was accepted because I saw a lot of potential, but it was super competitive. And I just felt like I was being really intimidated. So I transferred to a state school, which is Montclair State University in Montclair, New Jersey. And I, um, I soared. That's where I really got the attention that I needed. And I really thrived in a small learning community. And I fell in love. At that time, you know, they were like, you can be a choreographer, a dance teacher, or open a dance studio. So I kind of set my hopes and my aspirations on really performing. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated from college, that's what I did. I hit the grind. And at that time, I'm like, going on all the cattle call auditions with my friends to Broadway. And I'm like, wait, this is not what I want to do. I can't even sing. I actually want to be a concert dancer. Mm. So I danced for Visi Dance Theater in New York City for a long time. And that is really where I got touring experience from. They took us all over, which I was so grateful for. But my dream company was Palabalos. I don't know if you're familiar with them.
1: No, I, I, the name rings a bell, but just give us a little bit more context if you can.
2: So basically, Palabalos is a company, but they do a lot of improvisation and they do a lot of dancing behind screens, reflecting projection of their body, wow. kind of um, making illusions. Well, I love them. So I kind of bloomed later in life. I didn't land that big company until I was 34 years old. Mm. Uh, I'm 37 now. So I danced with them for a year. And along that journey, I went to New York University where I got my master's degree in dance education. Yep. And I danced with them for about a year. It was great. But at that time, I was 34, 33, and I was just like, you know what? Touring is not for me anymore. Like, yeah. the dancers were younger. The lifestyle just really didn't fit what I wanted to do. So I just focused on being a dance educator. And that kind of happened by accident. My high school dance teacher got punched in the face oh my- because it's an inner city and it's rough. She was mm-hmm. breaking up a fight. Oh. And you know, she retired and my parents like the job is opening up. So I went in as a substitute. Mm. Hence, I was the one that said I was never going to be a teacher. I was built to be a performer. Mm. The minute I walked in to teach that class to them, I fell in love. Mm. I fell in love. I found like I was so moved by them. I found more joy out of seeing them perform and succeed than me performing. I had no idea. It was Mm. like, it was like the universe put me in the place that I belonged and that is where I found my calling.
1: Mm, wow, that's, that's, yeah, inspiring. And it's really, really moving to hear how, yeah, you had sort of really uh, an all-around journey, didn't you? Like performing and then, you know, like you said, finding it, you know, w- what would be considered in quotes later in life as a dancer um, and then to move into teaching. So that's really, you know, amazing. And you said then you fell in love basically as soon as you entered the classroom, but what was your first impression of the dance classroom and, and did what that inspired you to continue teaching? So obviously you went from a sub to more of a, you know, full-time or contract position there.
2: Exactly. So I went in as a sub and I really didn't think about it at the time. Hence this, this was 13 years ago. I've been there for 13 years. So I kind of was just like, I'm going to go for it. I, I, I committed to the students what did I see I saw passion mm-hmm. I saw inner city students that didn't have a means of taking dance classes and I was their means and then I took everything I learned in college and really created a program so that students could get into competitive colleges because when I graduated yeah. from there I did not have the means technically to compete with these students auditioning at great colleges so that was my mission. I brought in guest artists. I wrote a curriculum. I did everything I could do to get these students at a level where if they chose to audition for colleges, they would have an
1: option to. Yeah. And that's really amazing too. That's yeah. Like, well, being there 13 years, I'm sure you've seen a lot of different students and you've probably, you know, tweaked and really progressed your curriculum, but I'm sure that they are very blessed to have you too. So that's, yeah, that sounds wonderful. And is that more of a, do all of the students have to partake in the dance program or is it like a extracurricular or subject?
2: That's where I'm really lucky. So in New Jersey, some people teach at schools where dance is an elective. Mine is a major. I work at an entire performing arts high school. So Uh, students audition to be accepted into whatever major. So my dance department is made up of like 20 students. Mm-hmm. and they all auditioned to be there.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Now I shared about you and you know, what you do a part of uh, being a teacher and as well as the services that you have outside of that, but uh, your dance boss, one-on-one coaching, and you also have an amazing benchmark boot camp. but can you tell us a little bit more about these services and that side of your business and what inspired you to start those?
2: Sure. I'll start with what inspired me. So I am really fortunate. Not everybody can go get their master's degree in dance Mm -hmm. education. Um, You know, I understand MFA is the highest degree along with a doctorate you can get with dance, but there's something about dance education that really teaches you how to systemize your classroom. Mm -hmm. and create ways to enhance student growth. And just those systems in my graduate program and being in a K through 12 setting, sitting in these professional developments and they're saying benchmarks, assessments, rubrics. And I'm like, what? And I'm the only dance teacher there and having to deconstruct them to fit my needs. I fell in love and I really fell in love because I wanted to have a life outside of the classroom. In my early stages of teaching, my life was my classroom. Like I would go home and prepare and like, just not really have time for myself. So when I adopted these strategies into my like, planning and my life, it opened up because once the planning is done, all you have to do is go back and modify. Mm. Um, and i guess i started this because i am i'm ready to move out of the classroom mm-hmm. i started to look at my life i said do i i love my students but i kind of want to just teach workshops movement workshops here and there as a guest artist mm-hmm. but i really do love educating dance educators on how to effectively run classrooms yeah and then i and then i asked myself well do i want to do this in a higher education setting no i don't i kind of want to do this on my own so i started to Really listen to the questions that people kept asking me yeah. about how to do things in classrooms, and I started putting them into plans and really playing with how to execute them in a systemized way that really, really works for any individual. And that was kind of my journey to Dance Boss and to my whole consulting business. Yeah, um, talking a little bit about the one-on-one coaching. So I offer one-on-one coaching for dance educators um studio dance educators and studio owners. Mm-hmm. So first the first facet of that is the K through 12 dance educator and the studio dance teacher, right? Mm-hmm. So basically what I teach you is how to write your curriculum. Say mm-hmm. you're a studio dance teacher and you teach jazz. A lot mm-hmm. of times when you go to studios because I've owned a studio, you show up and you teach jazz or you show up and you teach modern, whatever. But you, ha- you should start to write out your curriculum so that you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel year after year. Yeah. You have to write your benchmarks, your assessments. And I know as a studio owner, when I owned a studio, I looked for teachers who understood curriculum and came mm. with their own curriculum. And in, in with that in place, I paid them higher. Mm. So what I'm trying to let dance teachers understand is if you make your curriculum and, and package it and present that to studio owners with your class, You are inclined to pay more and you are more inclined to teach the classes that you want because I know when you're grinding as a studio teacher, you end up teaching classes that you don't want to pay bills. So it's just about systemizing what you do, packaging it, and being able to present it to these um, different dance studios. And then for the K-12 through 12 level, I basically do the same thing, but I really mentor them because there's a missing component. Being in a K-12 setting can be so isolating because you're usually the only dance teacher. So it's yeah. really taking those logistical things that your district and your school ask of you, benchmarks, assessments, curriculum, and helping you write it in a way that you can use year after year. So Mm. every year you're not scrambling to rewrite it.
1: Yeah. Amazing. And And I definitely think what you said about, um, it was, yeah, interesting. I never thought about when, when, when I was a teacher sort of doing my own curriculum, I just sort of, like you said, reinvented the wheel and did that each term and each year. And yeah, I, I've never had a teacher come to me and say, I've got my curriculum. Here it is. I think that would really wow me. So that's a amazing service
2: because I see a gap in it. Mm. And it really clicked for me when I opened my dance studio. I remember I was looking for a teacher and I was like, listen, I don't, am I going to run the business of my dance studio or am I going to run the classroom of Mm -hmm. my dance studio, because you know, Claire, like you help people systemize their businesses. You can't Mm -hmm. be in all aspects of your dance studio. So I really brought in this teacher. We mapped out the curriculum together for every single class, made sure that, you know, what they were learning is the same, are the same concepts they were learning in jazz, in ballet and modern, so that it was cohesive. Mm. And it made my life easier because I stepped away from the class setting and I could run the business because I knew what the teacher was delivering and we put assessments in place. And during that assessment time, I would go in and make sure that the students and the teacher were on track. So let me step away from that aspect of my business.
1: Mm. And yeah, I definitely think like you were saying that it's hard to be in all pots at all times. And I know I've been developing my own curriculum, but I've come up I come up against like so many different hurdles and it it would be so beneficial. I'm already thinking like, Oh gosh, it would be so good to someone who's obviously got a lot more experience in that area to really go, okay, you've done this. This is good, but this, this is what you're missing. Or this is how, um, you know, these are the links that you could make, or, or even if you're wanting to create your own and you have no idea how to start having someone who's done it before and can kind of walk you through would be so reassuring and yeah like you said I even with the systems um the curriculum I have now it's I wouldn't say it's completely cohesive and perfect but even that makes me feel a lot more at ease that my teachers have an outline of what they should be doing versus me just going teach please
2: right and you and I really learned that from my early days of teaching like everything I learned and everybody, it's similar with everybody's journey. Everything I have learned has added up to this moment and contributes to what I'm doing now. And in my early days of teaching, I remember working at studios and like having to produce this phenomenal number to be in the, the end of season concert. And there was no check-in from the director. Mm -hmm. There was no check-in. I didn't know what other people were working on in any other classes. And Mm -hmm. that's not the director's fault. It's just that, they don't know. People mm. don't know that they need this. Mm. They don't know what it can do. Like I met with somebody today and she's like, I want to like re re curriculize or whatever, if that's a word in my school. And I really want to, I made up my own word. I, really <laughs> want, <laughs> I want it to be a conservatory. So we're breaking down her curriculum and we're making conservatory and we're adding in assessments and we're adding in benchmarks and we're adding in a Um, Dance history component and a nutrition component. Like it can happen. You just either have to take the time to do it or be really realistic and hire somebody to do it if you don't have the time.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think that's with everything, to be honest. But um, like I know not everyone has, you know, unlimited budgets, but I guess you got to look at what you've got coming up for the following season or term or year and just sort of prioritize what needs to come first and where you need the most help. But I definitely think having something like this in place you know studios may already have their own curriculum if they're listening or they might be thinking about developing their own but i definitely think like you said it can create consistency year after year can create a really cohesive plan for what the students do to kind of go from like when they start all the way through and if you know if they're just doing the same thing year after year and no one's told each other well then that can be a problem so I think it's really ensuring that there is consistency, but then also, you know, creativity and difference and really that adding kind of that ladder of growth, which is really important as well.
2: Yeah, and there needs to be communication in the studios. Like I worked in a studio, which I love. They would have like... I don't know if they did it through like in-person meetings, Skype meetings, or Google Docs or whatever, but like they would have conversations like this level of students isn't able to straighten their knee fully when they're doing a tendu or they can't, this level students can't do a develop a leap. Okay. What can we incorporate into all of our classes to help these students advance that? Like those conversations need to happen to maximize student growth. Mm, mm,
1: absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes, you know, people don't have a lot of time to communicate with their team or their teachers, but I think, yeah, just mapping out a little bit, like you said, can really help the students move forward and, and, and generally just give you a well-rounded, I guess, more, uh, you know, highly, if a really great program. So that's, yeah. that's really important too. And it's
2: not for everybody. It's like right. it's, it, it's, if you want to take your program to the next level, because obviously people have been sustaining for years without really diving into the curriculum and seeing how it could really um, enhance their program. But it's for the, the studio owner who wants to go deeper, who wants to mm. ensure consistency and who likes to know that their students are on a certain track.
1: Yeah, Definitely, um, and I think a lot of studio owners will really relate to that because I know for me as well. Like I have a few different locations, so knowing that my students are getting the same experience and the same content across the locations kind of gives me peace of mind that I don't think like oh, you know, going here is better than this place or going this place is better than that place. So um, that's important. That's an important thing for me too. just yeah, it's just a peace of mind knowing that you are really delivering a high quality service.
2: Right. And about locations, that reminded me. So in the mentorship for the studios where I help them develop their curriculum, after their curriculum is developed, I help them or I create an online module that trains teachers in the curriculum. So for example, if you have multiple locations and you have a jazz teacher in location A and a jazz teacher in location B, well, they both open up unit one, they know what they're expected to accomplish by the end of unit one and how they're going to accomplish that. Mm. And then you know what's being delivered the same at every studio for the same level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. How exciting. Uh, and that's definitely a, probably a whole nother podcast we could get to yeah. about communicating with team and uh, up-leveling professional development and things like that, which is super, super important, but sometimes really tricky as well. But that sounds absolutely fantastic. But I will move on to my next question because I think we could talk about this forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in the intro to the podcast, I did refer to you as my systems soulmate because I think that from what I know of you, we are both a bit nerdy when it comes to this. No shame, just the truth. But what is your favorite aspect of systems in terms of dance education?
2: Ooh, my favorite aspect has to be benchmarks, Mm -hmm. creating benchmarks, even If I can give everybody one tip today, even if it's creating a laundry list of every skill you want your specific level and discipline to accomplish by the end of the year. So modern level three, a laundry list, like every single thing and break it up into four units, bam, that's your starting point. Just do that. You know what you're teaching. Like benchmarks is where it starts. I see so often people are like, what's the, can I have a lesson plan? Can I have this? No. No you got to know your benchmarks. Like <laughs> where, where do you want them to go? Like that's yeah. where you start from. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's how I started mine. But uh, again, it's not, I definitely can feel like there's holes in mine, but I definitely think even just doing that overview, like you said, is, is, is so, so helpful. But moving on as well. Yeah. we again, I probably could talk about systems all day, but what system do you feel studio owners struggle with the most then or seem to maybe neglect the most?
2: The benchmarks. The
1: benchmarks. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: Fair enough. Yeah. Benchmarks and consistent classroom management. Like okay. that is a number one for me. Like you need, I personally believe like a, a studio needs classroom management systems that are represented for the whole studio mm-hmm. because you don't want to walk in and the ballet teacher lets you do this, but the other ballet teacher lets you do this. Like yeah. what is the school philosophy? So that's just going back to your mission and your vision and making sure every teacher is on board with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, really, really true. That's very, very important. And something that would create a bit of confusion, I guess, amongst the kids, if they're not really sure when they go into the classroom, what they're expected to do.
2: Right. The key is consistency. The consistency in your classroom with benchmarks, with curriculum, consistency in your business. It's not easy, but I think that everybody, you just got to start. That's the Mm. bottom line. And you don't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be done tomorrow. You just have Mm. to
1: start. And so, yes, like you said, if there's any tips for anyone, start with benchmarks. And that sounds like a really good place to start. What advice would you give to new business owners when building or developing their curriculum? I know we've already given like the benchmarks tips, but is it is it just starting or what do you have another little, little piece of wisdom that you wouldn't mind sharing?
2: Yeah, I do actually. And I love this one. So I'll use modern because that's like one of my favorite dance okay. forms. So modern, you have modern level three and that's the highest uh, level in your, in your school for mm-hmm. modern. Always start with the highest level. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. So you write the benchmarks of where you want them to go, the laundry list of the skills you want them to go on the left and then the needed skills that you want, that they need to get into the class. So on the right is what they are going to learn by the end of the year. And on the left is, are the needed skills for them to get in that class? Well, guess mm-hmm. what? When you pull up modern level two, the the, the needed skills to get into the class for modern three are the goal skills for modern two. Ah, uh,
1: yes. That so is, it kind
2: of, yeah,
1: that's super helpful.
2: <laughs> yeah. It overlaps because mm. you want modern two to end doing or be able to do the things you need to get into level three. So it's just an easier way to lay it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think when I started mine, I started at the youngest, but that makes much more sense what you're saying. <laughs>
2: No. Yeah. And it's just like different ways to skin a cat. Like, trust me, Mm -hmm. I didn't sit down and when I wasn't like, Ooh, this is how it works. Mm -hmm. I was at my computer trying to figure out benchmarks forever.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. I definitely think that's super helpful. Like you said, they need to move up. They've got to be doing that in the lower level. So that is very logical and makes a lot of sense. Um, so that is super helpful. So benchmarks and then starting from the oldest, They're two really practical tips that any of our listeners could implement today. So that's really awesome. So my last question, you've spoke briefly about your amazing programs that you have and what you offer. But if our listeners were wanting some advice or they were wanting to get in contact with you to get help with curriculum, how could they get in contact with you and, you know, speak with you further?
2: Great. So one thing that I forgot to mention was the benchmark boot camp. I forgot to mention that what that was. That is just a program. It's very similar to the mentorship, but it's an online course. So a studio Mm -hmm. could buy the course and take their staff through it or a teacher or teachers could do it. It's Mm -hmm. just less interactive. Like there's not, it's just online. Yeah. So that's that option. Okay. And then I have a blog with tons of free resources. I post a new blog article every Tuesday mm-hmm. and that's on my website erin d pride e r i n d dot com, And then I have a Facebook group, which is Dance Boss with Erin Pride. And on that Facebook group, I go live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we geek out about classroom systems.
1: Oh my God. I think I'm going to have to join that group. I didn't know you had a group. I'm going to go find that <laughs> as soon as we get off. Yeah. Come over and hang out. That sounds fantastic. And then again, obviously, if they wanted to reach out and ask about mentorship, your yeah. contact details are on your website as well. Yeah, just
2: go to the website. You can see all the packaging and everything. And I'm really good at like Facebook Messenger, email, whatever, or even cool. if it's a question. Like yeah. I love meeting people and talking.
1: Yeah, but I guess I could also ask a question in your Facebook group. So that's really awesome. Yes. Okay, Erin. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really love listening about your story and now what you are doing in your life and improving dance curriculum. So it was really amazing and fascinating. And thank you so much for sharing your practical tips with studio owners that listen to my podcast.
0: Of course. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Business of Dance podcast. For show notes and other episodes, please go to businessofdance.net slash podcast. To learn more about Business of Dance and stay up to date with all the episode releases, as well as lots of extra studio tips and tricks, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, or wish to be a guest on the podcast, please contact us at podcast at